Happy Memorial Day weekend, everyone. We thank you so much for starting it off uh, with us today in worship. Uh, we certainly do. Our hearts and um, thoughts and prayers go out to all the families who have lost loved ones serving our country. We're very grateful for their sacrifice for making this a free place where we can come and worship without fear today. And we also give thanks to Jesus that we have the hope that we will see them again in the resurrection. And so we do lift that hope up before all of us as well. Uh, I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. I welcome all of you here today, especially those who are guests among us. If this is your first time, we're super glad to have you with us. And as Pastor Nancy said, we invite you to stop by the welcome table on the way out and be sure and grab a copy of the story. Going through the whole Bible in a year, and uh, we're almost through the Old Testament. We're going to take a break for the summer and do some other things. Uh, we have a couple more weeks to go, and uh, we'd love to put a copy of that book into your hand. Uh, it's, it's super fun to read that and come together and to talk about that. Uh, our subseries is Monsters, as we're thinking about things in our uh, lives that try to attack our faith. And a fun way we've done that is we've invited some of our children to send in uh, pictures of the monsters that they've drawn. Uh, and we select one each week kind of randomly to win a pizza party for their family. And I'm excited to show you today's winner. That's Mason Hermura. And so uh, we've got Mason's picture up there. That's pretty cool looking monster. So that'll be a lot of fun. If you have the children up through fifth grade, just go to our website, southparkchurch.com, and they can submit as many pictures as they want. And we'll again draw one next week uh, for a pizza party. And it's just a fun way of involving them in what we're doing. Do you remember that intense feeling that you had when you first fell in love uh, with someone? It's just a passion beyond reason. And all you could do was think about them. Every minute of the day, when you woke up all the way through work or school till you went to bed, just couldn't wait to see or talk to them. If you were talking to them on the phone or in person, you just sat on their every word and just had this, you know, this amazing feeling that you just couldn't wait to be around them. And if you let that uh, emotion kind of go through, maybe when someone looked at you, it looked something like this. Right? <laughs> the old suck face, right? You just, man, that passion, right? And uh, scientists call that infatuation. It's a chemical kind of feeling that just sparks when we first have interest in someone. Uh, and it just, it, it's all consuming and it takes over. And you don't have to just be a teenager. It can be any kind of age. And so I think, you know, just that, that passion, that, that strong feeling of infatuation. Well, we all know that that feeling, that strong passion doesn't last forever. In fact, you know, scientists have calculated at the most that strong passionate feeling will last about two years. But that's that's it most. And and so, you know, one of two things is going to happen. Either that's going to turn into real love, uh, which is somewhat emotional, but goes beyond emotion or it's going to taper off. And we're going to kind of become complacent where we become more kind of, you know, interested in ourselves or on one hand or maybe even apathetic on the other hand where, you know, we're kind of indifferent about that person. And so either it moves into love or it kind of slides into complacency or it kind of slides into apathy. And that's why some people say that, you know, you should get all the affection you can while you're dating because when you get married, it's going to stop. Um, that's not true. It doesn't have to be true, but I know that a lot of people believe that. And so uh, sometimes that passion can become this self-absorbed complacency or this apathy of mm, indifference. I don't really care one way or the other. 
When I was in Yellowstone National Park a couple of weeks ago, they show you these films about how you're going to see all this wildlife like buffaloes and moose and maybe even bears and that those animals have free reign to walk through the park. And so if you see them to use, you know, your, your brain not to be silly or stupid around them and to give them space and at least, you know, 75 feet from some of these major animals and they show videos of people in the park where they got too close to a buffalo and the buffalo stampeded and threw them up in the air. And so that got my attention. And uh, we were uh, at Yellowstone walking around Old Faithful, the old geyser that, that blows up and there's some paths there. And, and sure enough, there's one of those huge buffaloes, probably weighing seven or 800 pounds. And uh, we needed to get back by him to get back to where we were staying. Uh, but he was right on the path. And so we sat and we waited and we waited and he finally went off the path a little bit. And uh, so we decided to risk it. We were a lot closer than 75 feet. And uh, I'll show you just what exactly uh, happened. So check this out. didn't even know we existed, right? All he cared about was eating that grass. And so when it came to a relationship with the buffalo, that guy was complacent. He was happy. He had his grass. He was apathetic. He didn't care about us. Now, if we'd gone up and interrupted him, it probably wouldn't have gotten ugly. But I, I think if we think about complacency or apathy, I think the buffalo in that video kind of represents that today. Uh, now, now, here's the sad thing that can happen. I've had many couples in my years of ministry who've come in, one of them, either the husband or the wife, coming in and said, Pastor Kyle, my marriage is in trouble. We used to be so in love with each other. We had such a connection, but, you know, we've been married for a long time now, and we, we just don't know each other anymore, and there's just nothing in common, and, you know, I love my spouse, but, but they're, they, I, they're indifferent to me. They're apathetic. They're complacent, and so there's just nothing keeping our relationship moving forward. Can you help us? In all those situations, it's just sad to, to hear the hurt and the pain of the spouse who's still in love, but it seems like the other spouse is not. And so that begs a question for me, and maybe it begs a question for you, is do relationships last, and, and can they last? And, and how do we move from being so passionate about someone, you know, for a while to absolutely complacent or apathetic later to where, yeah, you know what, I just, I don't care anymore. And it's not just romantic relationships. It's not just boyfriend and girlfriend or husband and wife. It, it can be friends. It, it can be the way that we feel about our brothers or sisters, maybe even our children, maybe even our grandchildren, our grandparents. And so it, it goes beyond that. And it can even spill over into our relationship with God. When we first enter into a relationship with God, how many of us are so excited? We've, we've, we've been saved. We've been born again. We, we have the infusion of the Holy Spirit, and we're just on top of the world and would do anything for God. And, 
And then sometime later, you know, we just, we've kind of stopped going to church or reading our Bible. We just don't feel that same kind of spark inside of us. And so I guess a big question I have is about all relationships, whether that's romantic or family or friends or even with God. Is, 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 is there hope for them to last? Can we have passion? Can, can we still feel connected to people or to God? Or is it just the way of humanity in the universe that those relationships, all relationships at some point just fade into indifference or to apathy? And so that's the struggle that I want to address today. And there is good news and it comes to us in the Bible and it comes to us like 500 years before Jesus is even going to be born. And in the Bible, God's going to give us hope. That yes, relationships can make it and relationships can, can go up and down and ebb and flow. But that, that if we do the right things that, that we can invest in the relationships, we know that they will be made to last. And so how do we do that? That's what we're going to explore today. And so we're in the Old Testament and we've been with the, the nation of Israel for a long time now. And, and we've seen that the nation of Israel has been split into two because they've been unfaithful to God. The northern part of Israel had been conquered 720 years before Jesus was going to be born because they'd been unfaithful to God. And so the, the Assyrian nation came in and, and destroyed them and, and took some of them away into captivity. And then we've seen that the southern kingdom that was left over lasted for a little bit longer, but in 586 B.C. before Jesus was born, they were unfaithful to God. And a different nation came in from Babylon and, and defeated them and ripped down the temple where they worshiped God, where God was supposed to live, and they took people into captivity. And it was just, it was horrible. And so they've been there now, and the southern kingdom have been in Babylon for about 40 years and God has heard their cry. He's heard the cry of the northern kingdom for a couple of hundred years. And God's decided to rescue the people of Israel and give them another chance. And so he sends a ruler named Cyrus, Cyrus of Persia, who now has kind of conquered that whole area of the world. And Persia is now over the Babylonians, has been over the, who've been over the Assyrians. And Cyrus is the great deliverer. Right? He, he is a Messiah, not the Messiah. That's Jesus to come later, but he's kind of a forerunner for Jesus. And so what Cyrus does is he liberates the people of Israel and he says, you can go home. You can go back to your land. You can go back and, and, and take it over and, and you can go back to Jerusalem and you can rebuild your temple where, where you believe that God you know, symbolically is, is among you. And so I'm sure that the people of, of Israel who had been in captivity or their ancestors, you know, had, had been brought there and they'd been born in captivity. They'd heard all the stories about Israel and about God and about how this is our, our land. A bunch of those folks are coming back. And, and I'm guessing it's kind of like falling in love, you know, for the first time or falling in love again. And there's probably been a lot of passion. It's like, we're going home. It's been so long. I can't wait to, to see Jerusalem again. Or I can't wait to see Jerusalem for the first time. My parents have told me about it. My grandparents have told me about it. And so the people of Israel come back into Jerusalem and they're so excited that they overlook, you know, the temple has been destroyed. Other people have taken over. They go right to Jerusalem. And what do they do? They, they worship. 
in, in, where the temple used to be. And they say, God, we don't have a building, but we don't need a building to worship you. And so they worshiped and they gave their hearts to God. And, and you know, I'm sure they were just on fire and just feeling it for God. And, and so they began to lay the foundation for the temple where they're going to rebuild the temple and, and have the national place of worship and, and have the sacrifices of animals offered so their sins could be forgiven. And, and, and they very well intended. But once they get going, then, you know, life starts happening and it starts, you know, kind of invading on that, that, that feeling of infatuation with God. And, and, and some of the people who are there don't want them there and, and they make it hard for them to rebuild. Other nations around them are nervous that Israel's going to be back on the, on the political playing field and, and they make it hard. And, and then there's life. Right? And the people of Israel are like, well, we need to build our own houses and we've got to get back to work and we've got to get schools going and all that kind of stuff. And so, so life happens. And before they know it, 16 years have gone by and they, they've stopped working on the temple and there's nothing that's been done and they've moved on with their lives. And so that passion for God, that in, in, infatuation, all that you know, desire to worship again in the temple, it's, it's some way, somehow faded. And that's where we pick up the story today, about 520 some years before Jesus was born. And God speaks to a prophet who is a spokesperson for God. And, and this guy's name is Haggai. Some say Haggai, some say Haggai. I like Haggai better, so let's go with that today. I hope I don't offend you Haggai people, but uh, we're going to be in the Old Testament book of Haggai. Uh, and uh, we're going to be in chapter one for a while. And so if you've got your Bibles, you want to turn there, just look up on the screen here. Uh, we're going to be in Haggai one, beginning with verse two. And this is what God says to the people of Israel through Haggai the prophet. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people, my people, say the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? Okay, so you've built your own houses. That's nice. You, you need your houses. But why isn't God's temple been rebuilt. You, you've, you've stopped it for, for 16 years. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You uh, eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you, uh, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. People of Israel, you're living your lives, but there's something missing. It, it's not quite enough, and you haven't asked why that is. So go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house, so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. Just, just you've got your houses. Just go up and please finish my house. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home blew away. I blew away. Why, declares the Lord God Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive uh, oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and livestock, and on all the labor of your hands. I've called a drought... To get your attention, I need you to finish my house. Now, 21st century in America, we're thinking, what's the big deal, right? Why? I mean, God, you, you don't need a house. I mean, you're more than a house. And, 
why are you giving the people such a hard time? What, what is the big deal? But it, it was a big deal in the time, and this is why. From a lower story perspective, like from human perspective, the temple represented uh, symbolically that God chose to live among humanity. And this was the place where God's presence was supposed to be the strongest. And so it symbolized to the world that God loves this nation of Israel and God has come from heaven to dwell with the people. And so it was a very important symbol that that temple be occupied. It was also the place where the people were to make themselves right with God. Whenever they did something wrong, that brought guilt and shame into their life. And the way that God wanted to make things right was that they would offer some of their livestock to God. And the blood symbolized life. And, and that's the way that God forgave them is offering these animal sacrifices. So it's a way for them to stay in right relationship with God. And that could only happen in the temple through the priesthood. So that's from a lower story perspective, but from an upper story perspective, like from God's perspective, God knows that he's getting ready to send Jesus into the world pretty soon after this, you know, soon for God, you know, 500 years, but uh, he's going to send Jesus into the world and Jesus is going to replace the temple. And so Jesus is going to be our access to God. He's going to be the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. And, and Jesus is going to free us up to be in this relationship, but Jesus can't replace the temple if the temple's not there. Jesus can't replace the sacrificial system if the sacrificial system's not there. And so it's very important for not just Israel, but for the rest of the world in uh, the early days back in the day, but also for you and me, that this temple has to get built so that Jesus can come and do his thing and kind of take over for the temple. So it's a big deal for God. And God is sad that the people seem to only love him when they need him, right? Hey, God, we're in captivity, or hey, I'm in trouble with my mortgage, or hey, God, you know, my child is sick. You know, you know that's when we go to God. Right? That's when the people from Israel went to God. God's like, you know, can't you, can't you love me all the time? Can't you trust me in what I've asked you to do? You know, you, you've become complacent. You're focused on yourselves. You've become apathetic towards me. And this just isn't cool. Could you please finish my house? And so that's kind of the story that we have here. They've, they've, they've lost that loving feeling, if you might allow me to say that, with them and God. Now, as a sidebar, I just want to say to you how proud I am of you as your pastor uh, over the past five years where we've been undergoing what we call Dream Big South Park, this vision to rebuild our church campus. Uh, and it's taken us five years to get to this awesome point to where now we're ready to start getting our architectural plans finalized and to build our new church campus. And so five years, we've been through a lot of ups and downs and a lot of surprises, a lot of bumps in the road that we didn't see coming. Uh, and so I just want to thank you all for your faithfulness uh, and your passion and your commitment to the vision, uh, because sometimes it just seemed like it was never going to happen or something was going to come up again. And, and yet here we are in this very awesome, exciting time. And, you know, we're expecting it's going to take us a couple of years to, to actually build the building now, but we're going to see that stuff happening soon. And so thank God it's not going to be 16 years. <laughs> and so uh, I just want to thank you all for your faithfulness through the ups and downs. Uh, and here we are because we believe this is what God's calling us to do. So getting back to the story of the people of Israel and Haggai and all that, you know, so what, right? 
So what's the point? What's the big deal? What, how does this relate to us in the 21st century in America? So, you know, so what is it that God is wanting us to learn from this passage of Scripture? And here's what I think the so what moment is, right? God is either the main thing or nothing, okay? In Scripture, in this passage of Scripture, God is either the main thing or God is no thing, nothing, right? God says it's, it's got to be about me first, right? It's, it's been that whole way through the Old Testament, hasn't it? The people of Israel always get into trouble when they do what? They love something more than they love God. And so what they're loving more than God in this circumstance is themselves, right? I need a house. I need a place to be. God says, you need to finish my house. And so God says, either I'm the main thing in your life or I am nothing in your life. And, and so the monster that we're facing today is kind of two-headed. It's this, this complacency where we're kind of self-absorbed and, and, and into ourselves. Hey, I'm good. Or it's apathy where we're just indifferent. You know, we just, we don't seem really to care. We've lost the passion. We're just, we're kind of on our own. And, and so God says, I'm either the main thing or I'm, Nothing, And so in the book of Revelation in the New Testament, the last book of, of the Bible, uh, at the very beginning of, the, of that letter, uh, God sends letters to several New Testament churches. And he, he talks to them about things that they're doing well. And he talks about things that they're not doing well. And he gives them a chance to, to write the, the ship. Uh, and so there's a church called Laodicea uh, that God is, is writing to in the New Testament. And uh, this is what God says to Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth, right? That's the last thing that I wanted to be is God spitting me out of his mouth, right? So he's like, look, you're not even hot. You're not even cold. You're just kind of milk, milk toast, like lukewarm, right? Apathetic, complacent. God says, guys, look, I love you. I've created you. I have plans for you. You're created in my image. I want to do great things through you. I need you to commit to me. I need to be the first thing in your life. God says, I'm either, you know, uh, the, the main thing or I'm nothing. And so I think that's a powerful thing for us to wrestle with. So, so that's the so what. So now what do we do about it? Now, if, if, if we have become complacent in our relationship with God, if, if we have become lukewarm, if we have become uh, apathetic, and it's easy to do that, right? We can't even see God. So how are we supposed to be on fire for God? How are we supposed to put God first? If, if that's all that's going on now, what do we do about it? And I've made up this really weird rhyme, uh, so deal with it, please. But uh, uh, every day, choose to stay. Right? Every day, we must make a choice to follow God. Every day, choose to stay. We've got to say every day, God, I, I surrender to you. I invite you to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Every day, choose to stay with God. And I think it goes beyond just our relationship with God. I think this is true of all of our relationships. Remember we started talking about the power of infatuation and how that fades to complacency, it fades to apathy. Every day we need to say, I choose to uh, love my spouse. 
Every day I choose to love my child. Every day I choose to love my grandchild. Every day I choose to love my best friend. Right? Every day I choose to love my brother. Every day I choose to love my sister. That's an everyday decision that we make from God to the people that are special in our lives because here is a secret of life. Love is more than emotion. Love is a choice and it's an action. And there are days that we're not going to feel anything at all close to passion for the people in our lives that we care about. That doesn't mean we've stopped loving them. Love is a choice. It's an action. Look up 1 Corinthians 13 when you go home. It talks about that. Love is patient and kind and not arrogant and not rude and not insisting on its own way. Love is more than a passionate feeling. That passionate feeling is infatuation. That's not, that's not even love. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't have emotions for the people that we care about, that we can't rediscover it, but that love is a commitment and it is work. You know, I, I hear sometimes when, when I'm doing funerals for people and, and their, their spouse has died, it's like, you know, we, we never had a crossword with each other. You know, we never had an argument. And, you know, it, 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 it takes every ounce of strength in my body not to just call BS on that, right? <laughs> There is no way you haven't had an argument, right? Marriage is work. Friendship is work. A relationship with a God that we can't see is work. But the more that we act like we love people, the more that our emotions will feel like we love people. And so if you are in a relationship that has gone down the road of complacency or apathy, whether that be with the Lord God Almighty or your spouse, or your significant other, or your child, or your best friend, then every day choose to stay. And maybe it's consciously every day you wake up in the morning and you say, I choose to be a spouse today. I choose Jesus Christ as my Savior today. I will follow Jesus today. I choose to be the best parent that I can be today. We have to consciously do that. In our relationship with God, we've got to work on it. That's why we have spiritual practices like prayer and reading the Bible and coming to worship and serving God and being in a small group because that helps us work on our relationship with God. You want to feel passionate about God? Then figure out what it is that God's passionate about and you're passionate about and do that. Right? Maybe it's about feeding hungry children, or maybe it's about standing up to sexual harassment, or maybe it's about uh, helping the homeless, or maybe it's about teaching the children of the church about Jesus. What is it that just sets you on fire, either in a positive way, or you see something not being done and it makes you mad as hell? Maybe that's where God needs you and your passion, and that can rekindle the passion that you have for God, right? But it is a choice. And if, if you're struggling in a relationship and, and, you, and you make that mental decision, I am going to commit to this relationship today, what do you need to do then? Do you need to have a conversation with the person? Do you need to spend time with the person? Do you need to seek out counseling? What is it for you to do to succeed in that relationship that comes back to it being a choice? Every day, choose to stay. Mentally, out loud even say, I commit to this relationship again today. I commit to this relationship again today. Now just imagine if we all do this, how amazingly this, this could look. To me, it gives us hope that relationships will last. 
Relationships with God will last, relationships with significant others, relationships with family, relationships with friends, because we know it's going to ebb and flow up and down. Our emotions are going to come and they're going to go. But if we commit to that, then that gives us the hope that these relationships will succeed. Now, C.S. Lewis says, when we seek first things first, we get second things thrown in. We seek God first, then we'll end up getting our houses or we'll end up getting our relationships with friends and family, right? When we seek second things first, C.S. Lewis says, then we lose both first and second things, right? Jesus said something like this himself in Matthew's gospel. Check this out. Matthew's gospel, Jesus is preaching to poor people who don't know where their next meal's coming from. They don't know where their clothes are going to come from. And he says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. And they're like, you must be crazy, dude, because I'm hungry right now. And this is what Jesus says. He says, Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, and all these other things will be given to you as well. Seek God first, make God the main thing, and God's going to take care of the rest of it. We just got to trust God. We're not going to get everything we want, but God is going to make sure we get what we need. Seek God first. And all this other stuff gets thrown in, right? God, either the main thing or nothing, right? Every day, choose to stay. Now, think about Jesus for a minute. God sent Jesus into the world. We're going to get to Jesus in, in, in late August and his story and all that kind of stuff, but I'm going to go ahead and cheat and tell you a little bit now, right? He sends Jesus into the world to give us a way back, right? So that all the wrong things that we do can be forgiven. Our guilt and shame can be replaced with joy and peace. We can live life to the full now. We can live life eternally, right? God gives us all, all this because he sent Jesus into the world to die on a cross and to come back to life. What if... What if Jesus, right, had, had gone through his ministry, he's, he's sitting in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's getting ready to be arrested and to be tortured and be killed, and he has that prayer, and he says, God, I don't want to do this. I know what's coming. If you could take this cup of suffering from me, then please do it. And we also, Jesus goes on to say, but not my will be done, but your will be done. Now, now, what if Jesus was like you and me, and, and, and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and that, that passion, that feeling of, of infatuation is, is, has been wearing out, right? And, and he's thinking, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to suffer. Not my will, but your will. You know, what if Jesus is thinking, you know, I've come, I've done miracles, and they still don't believe. Uh, I've cast out demons, and they call me a demon. In my hometown, they try to throw me off of a cliff. The Romans don't like me. The religious leaders don't like me me. My disciples don't even get it. They're getting ready to betray me and abandon me. You know what, God? Uh, you know what? I'm done, right? I, I don't want to be flogged. I don't want to be killed. I don't want to be nailed to a tree, right? It, it, everything else is more important to them, right? I, it, I'll see you in five. I'm coming back to heaven right now, right? I'm done. I'm out of passion. I've given it all. I am done. Good luck with that. Good luck with guilt and shame and death and hell. I tried, people, but you can't even stay awake right now. I'm, I'm here in the garden, and my disciples, I ask them to stay awake. And they're going to wake up, and I'm not going to be here, and I'm going back to heaven. What, what if Jesus, what if he gave in, right, and walked away from that, 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 that love that wasn't returned? What if he let the passion fade, right? Man, we'd be in a lot of trouble, right? But what did he do? He went forward with it, 
And he was arrested and he, he was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was mocked. He was, had a crown of thorns shoved on his head. He, had, he was beaten to within an inch of his life. He was nailed to a tree, spear in his side. He suffocated, right? And, and everybody's laughing and mocking. And do you know what they call that in the Bible? The passion of Christ. They don't call it the apathy of Christ. They don't call it the complacency of Christ. They call it the passion of Christ. Passion is from a Latin word, which means to suffer, right? Jesus was so in for us that he gave everything. It wasn't the apathy of Christ. It wasn't the complacency of Christ. It was the passion of Christ. Do you know why? Because we're the main thing to God. You and I, we're the main thing to God, and he gave all for us. Is it too much to ask that we make God the main thing of our life? God is either the main thing or nothing. Every day, choose to stay just as Jesus did. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.